What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and prove the profession of athletic training. We are talking with Gary Reinel from Mark Pro. The, today's show is Stop Using Ice. Right. So we're going to stop using ice as athletic trainers, and Gary's going to tell us why. So just in some of the conversations beforehand, Gary was talking about his background. Gary is a started out as a gym owner. Gary doesn't have... Uh, medical credentials so he's not an athletic trainer not a physical therapist not a doctor um, anything like that however he's trained thousands of athletic trainers physical therapists doctors on uh, the benefits of neuromuscular electrical stimulation things like that and lots of different things he talked about how he created a fitness program for his pregnant wife and that became a huge hit and you know he was an expert in pregnancy fitness and then he went from there from owning a you know an olympic weightlifting gym to training his pregnant wife to um, treating or training old people like like ninety year old people, so uh, I think it was like learn to walk or something like that. Um, and so he's done everything, and then now Mark Pro or the anti ice matches. Also, also he had the uh, big dieting thing where he was battling um, diets, diet companies or diet products and that kind of thing, and, and so they kind of swallowed him, him him up there. Um, and I'm sure he may mention that, but so he's got a lot of different fingers in the, in the industry of sports medicine, wellness, health. Um, and obviously he is an expert cause he'll tell you there, he's got almost all the pro MLB teams working with Mark pro. And so his product is working, his idea is working, and it's just something that we need to learn more about so we can be more comfortable. So without much further ado, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash stop using ice. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash stop using ice. I'll have some of the links to the uh, resources that he included in there. Um, and then, so I've got um, my friend Ray Olivo here with me. We got, I've got, of course, I got Gary Reynell and John Seco is joining us on the phone all the way from Michigan. If you're watching live on Facebook, we definitely want your questions and your comments. So, uh, Gary, first question I got, I know this is going to be difficult for you. Okay, I'm going to set a timer. Two minute, two minutes or less, two minutes or less. Why the old should two we, minute drill? Yeah. Why should we not use ice for injuries? Ready, set, go. It traps the waste in and around the damaged site and prevents the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. That's it. That's the reason. Oh my goodness. Ten seconds or less. That's great. <laughs> so every so the, every time I've talked to you so far has been you know you want the short version or long version. The short version was like fifteen minutes. So I was expecting that to cut you off. So, Okay, so tell me one more time in the 10-second version then. Traps the waste in and around the damaged site and prevents the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. And if you want to take it a little tiny bit further, just a little bit, the doctor who made up the RICE protocol, rest, ice, compression, elevation, the doctor who made that up is Dr. Gabe Merkin, a Harvard-trained doc, made it up in his 1978 sports medicine book. After Merkin read my book, Ice, the Illusionary Treatment Option, he called me on the phone. He said, you're going to like what I'm posting tomorrow. He posted, I made this up. Research has clearly shown I was wrong. Don't do it. It delays healing, gives a specific reference to the fact it causes additional damage, and then wrote the foreword to the anti-ice man's book, which is me. So I got the guy who made up the most recognized protocol in Western medicine to recant and write the foreword to the book that took down his protocol. That's why you shouldn't do it. All right, so for so long we have we have used ice. So tell me just a little bit more about the the science, the behind why, other than it blocks the flow. Because some people aren't aren't going to take just that. So 
give me some more of the the science behind well, it. Well, science from two sides. A, uh, try to give me science that it has benefit, and you can't, by the way. Uh, there have been multiple uh, uh, system-wide reviews all come back to the same conclusion. Although popular, no evidence whatsoever that it's beneficial. But here's what we know it does do. It delays healing. It increases swelling. It causes additional damage. And it shuts off the signals that alert you to harmful movement. And you need movement to solve the problem. And you need the signals to prevent, to prevent you from doing harmful movement. So it's the exact wrong thing to do. I, I'm often asked... What would be worse, sitting there and beating the area with a ball-peen hammer while you're making it cold? I don't know how to make it any worse. It's, it's so wrong that you can't even come up with a good reason to do it if you're honest. And the fact is that when you do a literature review, which have been done multiple times, and all of that's documented on my website, on GaryReinald.com. It's all free, so you can go and get it. Uh, I wrote an article recently, a rebuttal to someone that tried to... Uh, suggest that what I was saying wasn't exactly correct. Uh, read my rebuttal. It's called the, the Cold Hard Facts Weighing the Evidence. It's, it's on my website. It's free. You read that and you go, well, this is just crazy. Who would do this? Who would deliberately trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen and supplies, which leads to additional damage and more swelling? Why would you do that? Well, because rice is nice, it rhymed. And I, I honestly believe if it hadn't rhymed, it would have never caught on. Uh, but it rhymed, and it stuck. But I presented the evidence, and the doctor who made it up recanted and wrote the foreword to my book. So, Gary, let's talk about uh, the importance of inflammation, actually. So uh, I know in the cold hard facts, uh, I was reading over it a little bit this morning, uh, you mentioned about the difference between inflammation and swelling. Um, so let's talk about, A, the importance of inflammation um, in the healing process, and then uh, the difference between inflammation and swelling as well. Okay, well, A, the first question is very simple. There are three steps to healing, inflammation, repair, and remodel. It's not maybe, it's, that's a fact. So why would you want to disrupt phase one of a three-phase healing process? And when you look and you understand, it's not, it's not a mistake so, well, maybe there's too much inflammation. How much too much? How'd you figure that out? How do you know there's too much? Maybe there's not enough. Are hands different than feet? Are you different than me? How would you know? What are you measuring it by? How do you know there's too much inflammation? And why on the warning labels to the anti-inflammatory drugs does it say, warning, if you take this drug, it's going to inhibit healing? Because everyone is aware of the fact that inflammation is phase one of three phases of healing who is in this business. Don't mess with it. It's right. It's not wrong. Now, could it ever go wrong? Sure. But in otherwise healthy people, especially young athletes, there is virtually no chance that their inflammatory response, their immune system, is going to be dysfunctional. It's going to work. And if it didn't work, how in the world would you know what wasn't working? How much off is it? How much too much is it? Maybe it's not enough. You have no mechanism to measure whatsoever. Why would, you, why would you begin any process like that assuming it's wrong? Well, there is no good reason for that. You can't justify that. You know it's wrong. As soon as you think about it, you know it's wrong. And then you say, well, so, well, but I don't want too much inflammation. Well, okay. I get crazy on this. Just <laughs> stop that you don't want too much inflammation. You can count on a healthy immune system responding well. 
If it doesn't, then make adjustments. Don't make adjustments before you start and even know what's going on. Now, the biggest problem is that nearly everyone that I spoke to in my early years of interviewing, and I interviewed hundreds of the most elite trainers, doctors, and therapists in the country, athletic trainers, from the pro teams to the Olympic Training Center to Apollo Ono's trainer. You named If you were famous and I could find your phone number, I went and saw you. Now, what happened is that nearly everybody confused the two words. They merged the words inflammation and swelling. They are not the same thing. Inflammation is phase one of the three-phase healing process. That's the inflammatory response. Swelling is merely the accumulation of waste at the end of the inflammatory cycle you have not yet evacuated. The swelling is something that happens automatically, by the way. Now, not the accumulation, but the fluid. If you remember in your textbook, it says that when there's damage, the de- or when there's an injury or trauma, the damaged vessels constrict convert ingredients into blood to grow a clot, repair the damaged vessel, dissolve the clot, and normalize flow in three to ten days or so. Comma. Not a period, not a paragraph. Comma. And the healthy surrounding vessels dilate and increase perfusion. That means the fluid is sent there on purpose. It's mobilized and repair and cleanup crew and packaging the waste for evacuation via your passive lymphatic system. So you go, oh, so the fluid's supposed to be there? Of course it's supposed to be there. It doesn't, if it wasn't supposed to be there, we'd all be dead. Okay? Of course it's supposed to be there. It's just not supposed to accumulate. And the reason it accumulates is because, drum roll please, of the rice protocol. Because rest, ice, and compression, Rick, Rick is wrong, traps the waste in and around the damaged site and prevents the natural flow of oxygen supplies. Get the problem? You should have walked it off the whole time. The coaches were right back in the late 50s when they told me. When I grew up back in the late 50s, and that's last century for all the millennials out there, okay, that's a long time ago, but no coach ever told me to sit still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around the damaged site. They said, walk it off. Don't sit still. It'll tighten up. Okay, so now we got this issue going. We realize that what the problem is, is that there is fluid accumulating. So let's think about how that fluid would evacuate. Let's look at the rice protocol. Would sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around the area, compressing the very vessels and depressing the entire system, would that move the waste through the passive lymphatic system? No. Now, what would move it through? Well, there's only one thing. It's called muscle activation or loading the tissue. You activate the tissue in and around the damaged site, that compression, I call it milking the cow backwards. When you activate those muscles in and around the damaged site, it milks the cow backwards, and next thing you know, the waste is eliminated. So the swelling isn't a good or a bad thing. Stop that. Get that out of your mind. It's not a good or a bad thing. It is merely the accumulation of waste at the end of the inflammatory cycle. You have not yet evacuated. Now evacuate it. So, um, so let, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I'm uh, probably going to ask you the same question. So it, we're talking to a lot of athletic trainers. We speak to a lot of clinicians who deal with these types of injuries or deal with all types of injuries. I think what we're probably going to have a problem with is that dissidence that we're, once you start talking about the ice is bad, you're going to have pe- a lot of people kind of, and you'll see it all over the place. You'll see people fight you back on it. You, you even stated that you uh, face a lot of fierce skepticism. 
and you've done a really good job of explaining those things. I guess my, my question would be is how does ice delay the recovery? You said that the, the rick part of the rice stops it. How can we better explain that, um, why ice stops that or delays the recovery? It shuts off the signal between the muscles and the nerves and slows down the metabolic process. I mean, that's the reason it's done. It's a wrong reason, but it's the reason it's done. When you, when you make things cold and you take it down to a lower level like that, you shut off the signal between the muscles and the nerves, which slows down the metabolic process. That was mistakenly understood or described by Knight. And I'm sorry that I have so many people that I have to take on. But again, uh, you have this problem with this secondary cellular death stuff where they thought, oh, well, the area is congested. And uh, because of the congestion, cells are suffocating and dying. So what we'll do is we'll stop the movement. Okay, what? You have congestion, so your solution is to slow it down more? Well, Knight mistakenly called it secondary cellular death. It's not secondary. Secondary would be that it happens as a result of the primary. Well, that's not what happened here. It's not secondary. It's primary to the congestion. Eliminate the congestion, there'll be no secondary cellular death because it wasn't that in the first place. It's primary to the congestion. So you get the congestion out, now you don't have the problem anymore, and then nothing dies. So I have an article called Secondary Cellular Death is Actually Negligent Homicide. Again, that's free on my website. I explain everything. I have all the references, all the evidence-based medicine to prove what I just said. And so you got to get over the, the problems that people have in their minds of, oh, well, this is what I've done, and, and this is how I've solved it. Stop it. It's wrong. Rick is wrong. Rest, ice, and compression traps the waste in and around the damaged site, and, and, and prevents the natural flow of oxygen and supplies. That's it. It's a fact. You can't change it. There's no, there's no editing needed for that. It's simply a fact. So now what do we do? Well, over a million people have heard my message. I can tell you that my argument is strong enough that uh, people like Apollo Ono's trainer no longer ice. Many of the people that I know in the military no longer ice. Uh, many of the Major League Baseball teams no longer ice. Uh, very few and, and almost to a point of almost none of the athletes, uh, major league pitchers that I'm in, involved with through the trainers, uh, which would be um, well over 200 major league pitchers. That's not a hype, by the way. That's me sending an email to all the head trainers and saying, could you give me a count? I'm trying to help everybody understand how many people are doing this now. That's the head trainers sending back to me with 100% response, by the way. All 30 uh, teams responded. And I have an accurate count of over 200 major league pitchers now using my muscle activation technique, the Mark Pro, and not doing the old icing idea. And if you listen to an interview I did with Corey Kluber a couple years ago, uh, Corey uh, won the Cy that year. It was his second Cy Young Award. Been using my product for the past five years, not icing. Corey said, I don't ice. Makes my arm feel stiff. Don't like how it feels. I use the Mark Pro. My arm feels the best it felt my whole career. And if you have a chance to use this and you don't, you're making a mistake. Okay, next question, please. I've got, I went to the most complicated group of athletes that I could find, major league pitchers. Took them from a state of sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around their shoulder and converted the league. I'm going to guess with my rough number right now, and I'm so close it won't make a difference. So, yes, it's a guess, but I'm very close. Half the major league teams don't ice their pitchers anymore. 
And you go, that's, you shifted, the, yes, I shifted it. I shifted it by simply pointing out the facts. I asked him, what are you trying to do? Well, we want to get his arm written. No, what are you trying to do? Well, we rota- no, forget about your five-day rotation. What are you trying to do? When there is tissue damage, what is your job? What is your goal? Okay, the goal is to preserve and regenerate lost tissue. So you want to preserve. You don't want to lose any more than you've already lost. So you want to make sure that you get rid of the congestion, you normalize flow. You don't want to lose any more through that, quote, secondary cellular death, which I defined as uh, uh, negligent homicide. So you don't want to lose any more, and you want to regenerate that which has been lost. Okay, how do you do that? A, you've got to decongest the area. B, you've got to recapitalize the area around the damaged site. So let's just look at each one separately. You want to decongest the area. How does waste move through the passive lymphatic system? By sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around it? Answer, no. So if we had a buzzer here, it would have gone off. No, they cannot move waste through a passive system by sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around it. So that won't work. How do you recapitalize the area around the damaged site? How do you cause angiogenesis? By sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around the area? Again, bing, no. How do you do it? By loading the tissue. There's no other way to increase the capillarity around the damaged site except by sprouting angiogenesis, except with some drugs that can do it, but that's kind of creepy and it's not really what we do in sports. Uh, but there are a couple drugs they're trying to do that with, but that's, that's, it wouldn't be for this purpose. So you've got to decongest the area and recapitalize the area around the damaged site. Simultaneously, you'd want a goal of preventing disuse atrophy. So while you're recovering, while you're decongesting the area, while you're recapitalizing the area around the damaged site, you wouldn't want to have disuse atrophy. So how does disuse atrophy work? Well, when you disuse, you atrophy. So guess what happens when you activate the muscles in and around the damaged site to decongest the area and recapitalize the tissue around that site? That same stress, that same loading, causes the muscle to produce and release what's called PGC-alpha-1. The PGC-alpha-1 prevents disuse atrophy. My point then, next question. All right, so I do have a question there. So we're talking about um, kind of what this looks like in the, in the athletic training room. So one of the things that we've typically done is move away from ice here at Pasadena High School. And one of the things that, that I kind of still do is I'll use an ice bucket, but I'll have them moving their ankle inside of that. So we're moving it and we're creating that, you know, they're not passive, they're not sitting still. And we, and then we follow that up with rehab exercises. And so talk to me a little bit more about why I should not use, I mean, I know we've we talked about the ice, but is the ice bucket the same? And if I'm moving it while icing it, is it still creating the same problem? No, it's not as bad. So it wouldn't be as bad as sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around it. But you're making it cold, so you're slowing down the metabolic process. You're, you're causing the vessels to constrict. You're shutting off the signals between the muscles and the nerves. It will de- de- uh, desensitize the sensation of pain, but you don't want to desensitize the sensation of pain if you're trying to move because those signals that alert you to harmful movement, they're telling you not to do what you're doing. So you wouldn't want to do it to desensitize the sensation of pain. So that would not be a good plan. And since you're moving it to try to increase circulation, well, the cold's decreasing your circulation. So why not just do passive ankle, I mean, not passive, but active ankle pumps? Because, by the way, before everyone got into this ice craze, 
that's what everyone did. They walked it off or they did ankle pumps or they squeezed their hand, but they squeezed the ball or they did active things where they loaded the tissue. This idea of icing was just a mistake. It was an error. It rhymed. If it didn't rhyme, I'm telling you truthfully, I don't believe it would have ever become popular. Rice is not nice. It's wrong. So now we go, oh, so, but I've used the bucket of ice with the guys moving their foot and it seems to help. I get it. Gary, I understand. Gary, is there that. another acronym that's just as nice as rice that you like to use? Well, I made up a thing called ARETA. Active recovery is the answer. And the reason I made up ARETA, because I was on the uh, phone speaking to a reporter writing an article about me for the Toronto Star. And she said to me, um, well, if rice is wrong, what's right? And I said, hold on a second. And I went, active recovery is the answer. I said, ARETA. And she said, what's ARETA? I said, active recovery is the answer. She said, you've been saying that the whole interview. I said, I know, but I never wrote the acronym before. So now we got it. It's ARETA. Active recovery is the answer. Look, the fact is, walking it off has always been right. That's what we did through all time. From the beginning of time, we walked it off. We always moved. That's how the system's designed to self-repair. This is one of the biggest problems that I have uh, when I'm trying to talk to people who, who don't want to hear this information. They fight the fact that the human body is designed to self-repair, not self-destruct. If it's self-destructing, figure out why and make a change. Well, how does it self-repair? It self-repairs by decongesting the area and recapitalizing the tissue around the damaged site. That's how it self-repairs. So anything that isn't doing that, look for a different thing. And so you stop and say, well, okay, well, let's just look at the rice protocol, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Does that decongest the area and recapitalize the tissue around the damaged site? The answer is no. So don't do that. So what should you do? Well, uh, walking it off was pretty smart. But the problem with walking it off is sometimes that stresses the damaged site beyond its uh, what's a reasonable level. Uh, in other words, my rule is uh, that if it elevates your level, your level of discomfort, then you need to find a different thing. Do it a different way. So don't make it hurt. Use your brain, never cause pain is another way that I say it. And you want to get activation in and around the damaged site. That's the only way you can move the waste to the passive lymphatic system. And that's what you're trying to do. It just so happens that that same loading or stressing actually causes the tissue to re the, the vessels to recapitalize around the damaged site, which also prevents the tissue's atrophy. And then if I go in a little bit of a parenthesis right here where I'm not positive about this, although I am writing the article at this time and I'm really close to being sure, uh, you know what myostatin is. Uh, myostatin is what prevents the body from growing too much muscle. And if you remember the boy Hercules from a few years ago in the newspaper, uh, what had happened was he didn't have the myostatin to prevent his muscles from growing, so he became very, very muscular. And if you Google uh, boy Hercules myostatin, you'll pop up the whole articles there. You can go on the Internet and read all about myostatin. But what myostatin does is myostatin blocks muscle regeneration. So if you go over in the bodybuilding world, all the bodybuilding guys who are very serious and women who are very serious take something called MyoX or one of those products to block the myostatin. Well, why would you want to do that? Well, because if you block the myostatin, your muscles grow more. And when your myostatin levels are high, well, that blocks muscle regeneration. 
So guess what sitting still with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around your damaged site does? The inactivity elevates your myostatin levels, which basically ensures that you will not be able to regrow your muscles. And so if you activate your muscles, that loading, that stress on the muscles, the aerobic activity, actually elevates your folostatin levels. And again, remember, I'm in parentheses right now. I'm not positive everything I'm saying right now. I'm just really close to being positive. And the reason is this information isn't, you can't go find this in a physical therapy journal. It's not there yet. I had to go over to the bodybuilding world to get these details. And who, by the way, they haven't really figured it out over there, but I can't run with that yet. I've got to make sure that there's, that I have all the pieces to this. But when you lower the myostatin levels, now the muscle can regenerate. Well, it just so happens that the same stress that increases circulation to the area, brings in the good, takes out the bad, prevents tissue atrophy, recapitalizes the tissue around the damaged site, and on top of that, lowers your myostatin levels. Who invented the human body? Genius award here, by the way. Whoever did it was absolutely unbelievably smart because however you look at it, all the things you've got to do, good stuff in, bad stuff out, recapitalize the area around the damaged site, lower your myostatin levels, prevent tissue atrophy, all occurs from the exact same stress or, in effect, walking it off. Kind of piggyback off of uh, one of John's questions earlier. Um, what do you say? So we live in a world where, you know, like as you mentioned before, there's a lot of physicians that are egotistical, stubborn, stick to that rice principle, um, and the same thing uh, occurs here at the in the secondary school setting as well. So, what is your recommendation for conversations with? You know, you get that baseball coach who comes up to you and, as an athletic trainer, says, "Hey, my my you know my ace is going to ice their shoulder after this game." Real short and sweet. What is your conversation with that baseball coach? Am I allowed to duct tape him to a chair while I'm talking to him? <laughs> sure. Whatever okay. you want. <laughs> I duct tape him to a chair, not too tight. I duct tape him to a chair and I make him watch the Corey Kluber interview and the interview I have with Kevin Ram from the Detroit Tigers about why they don't ice pitchers anymore. And if he doesn't believe that, well, then he can go and look and start talking to some of the trainers in the majors and in the minors and in the over 500 collegiate schools that I work with. I have a video out with, with 13 uh, athletic trainers from schools from Villanova to LSU, Georgia Tech. Look and see what the people who are not doing it anymore. Look at the success that they're getting. But then if you want to say, well, let's just look at from the technical side. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. Okay, the technical side. What's your goal? What are you trying to do? Well, we're trying to get the pitcher recovered. Okay, stop that. What are you trying to do? You're trying to preserve and regenerate. You're trying to make sure nothing additional is lost post-throwing. And you're trying to regenerate that which has been damaged. Okay, how does that work? Just go into your textbooks. Look how it works. Go up, look how the lymphatic system works. It's passive, nearly fully relying upon muscle activation around the vessels to move the waste. How could sitting still with a bag of ice possibly move your waste through a passive system? Answer, it doesn't. It can't. It won't. Okay, so that's out. How about regenerating the tissue around the damaged site? Uh, no, it doesn't do that either. That's not how it works. You have to have stress. You have to have loading for that to occur. So that wouldn't work. So if I'm talking to a coach or someone that has never thought about it before, actually they're very easy to talk to because once you ask them what they're trying to do and they don't know, then it becomes your conversation where you're talking to them saying, well, look, here's what you're trying to do. You're trying to preserve and regenerate. Here's how preservation and regeneration works. Don't pull articles. Don't pull stats. Open your clinical textbook. Say, look, here's what happens. Here's how the lymphatic system works. Here's how recapitalizing the area around the damaged site works. 
Now, this is what we're trying to do. Let's go see what does that. And when you see what does it, you'll see that walking it off or activating the muscles in and around the damaged site is how you do that. So there's, I don't have, no one argues with me anymore. I have people who say, well, I never thought of it that way before. Or actually, uh, when I was um, recently at a very high-level meeting uh, with some government officials, from U.S. government officials, and the lead clinician for that group said to me, you're literally changing the way I practice medicine. And I said, okay. I, I don't deny that, but I didn't do anything. I simply opened your textbook and read it. I didn't make up anything. I'm not a brain surgeon. I don't have an opinion. I simply read your book. Here's what it says in your book. And then went to the clinical research and said, well, if rice in the icing protocol is so good, clearly there'll be thousands of articles about the benefits of icing. Uh, none, none, by the way. Um, the articles, when you take the review of the four major articles, that uh, the four major uh, reviews of the topic of icing damaged tissue, although popular, there is no evidence whatsoever it's beneficial. That's a fact. So now this idea of uh, the Mark Pro came to fruition for you. Uh, can you just talk about the process of kind of what, what went through your mind um, as an entrepreneur? <laughs> Uh, thinking of ways to help uh, folks in uh, the sports medicine field. Yeah, just read the book. Read the textbook. Say, how's it work? How do you decongest an area? How to recapitalize the tissue around the damaged site? How does that work? It works by activating the muscles. In effect, by walking it off. By doing ankle pumps. Which, by the way, in athletic training, isn't that like one of the first things they teach you people? I'm not being disrespectful, but don't they teach you about ankle pumps right in the beginning? They do. Well, how's that work? Okay, how about we ask this question a little bit different. Do you think it'd be a good idea to do an ankle pump with a bag of ice wrapped tightly around the area, compressing the vessels you're trying to move the waste through? Does that make any sense to you at all? No, sir. Okay, well, then why do you do it later? Ankle pumps were right. Walking it off is right. When you look and say, how does the tissue regenerate? How do you preserve? How do you prevent further loss? you got to decongest the area, and you got to recapitalize the tissue around the damaged site. That's what you've got to do. So how do you do it? Well, you activate the muscles. You walk it off. Well, the problem with walking it off is, what if it's just your right lateral quad? How do you do that? Well, you can do it electronically with the Mark Pro. It's very simple. You take the activating pads, and you put them on. You turn the machine on. You increase the intensity to a point where you're getting a significant traction. If you elevate your level of discomfort, you make a change. You don't ever make it hurt. Use your brain, never cause pain. Activate, decongest the area, simultaneously begin that recapitalization. And by the way, just in case anybody out there is saying, well, how do you know he does that? Well, first of all, that's how it works. But we also have an index peer-reviewed study, Wake Forest University School of Medicine, proving that our technology causes angiogenesis. So, but by the way, so would squeezing a ball. So if you squeezed a ball, you did ankle pump for an hour a day, five days a week for 10 weeks, you'd get angiogenesis. So we're not doing anything odd. It's simply the body's response to solving the problem. What's the problem? I have damaged tissue. What do I need to do? I need to decongest the area and recapitalize the tissue around the damaged site. Why? Because the congestion inhibits the healing, and without the, incre the, the uh, um, revised circulation, the tissue won't survive. So you've got to do it. Anything that doesn't do that, don't do. Well, our technology does that.
So I got a question Gary. from Earl Osborne online. So um, John, I'll come back to you in just a second. So it's similar to the the talking to the coach question, but a lot of orthopedic surgeons still say as part of their rehab protocol, uh, ice daily, or they'll, you know, they'll have athletes ice daily. Um, so how do we have that conversation with what would be our superior medical professional? It's a problem uh, because it's such an insignificant issue to them. They're not necessarily always interested. Now, the orthopedic surgeons who I've spoken with, which are hundreds, and I ask them, what's your goal? What are you trying to do? Well, I, you know, I want to get the swelling out and I, wanna, I want it to heal. Okay, uh, so how is shutting off the signals between the muscles and the nerves going to help that? And then they look at me and I go, Doc, remember when you read the stuff about how the lymphatic system works? Yeah. Okay. H- how does that match up to what you're telling me to do here? Well, it doesn't. Well, but we can't have them walking on it. I just had surgery. Okay, how about if we lightly activate the muscles in and around the dammy site and decongest the area by the lymphatics to a, an active recovery? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You can do that. Go ahead. I don't have arguments. I actually had a, had a great one where I was uh, with a, uh, a commander at a military base, and uh, he had me come in to speak to his staff, and he had just uh, torn his, uh, tore his peck off his humerus. And he, had, he tore it off on a Friday, had surgery on a Monday. I met with him on a, on a Wednesday. And his guys had already told me what, uh, his team had already told me why he wasn't to the meeting on time. And I said, oh, I'm, hey, I'm thrilled he's coming. I, I, I would have expected that he wouldn't come. Well, he came in and he apologized for being there. I said, man, don't, don't, I appreciate you coming. Thank you. So I said, so now what? He said, well, Doc said I need to, uh, you know, uh, give it a chance to heal. You know, it's kind of rest. And I went, well, that's inconsistent with healing. Why would you do that? And he said, well, what? And I said, well, giving it a chance to heal and resting, they're inconsistent. That, that's not how it heals. And I said, call, call your doc on the phone. And I said, you're a commander. You got his phone number. Call him. And he said, well, I said, call him on the phone. I said, I want you to ask him. I want you to say to him, doc, do you think it's a good idea if I trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen supplies? Do you think that'd be a good idea? Do you think it'd be a good idea if what I do is sit still and do nothing and allow the air to begin to, uh, to atrophy? I want you to call that doc. I want you to, oh, no, no, Gary. I said, no, listen, seriously. I want you to call your doc. I want you to ask him that. Ask him if he thinks it's a good idea to trap the waste in and around the damaged site and prevent the natural flow of oxygen supplies. Ask him if he thinks it's a good idea to facilitate the process of disuse atrophy. I want you to call him up. I want you to ask him whether he thinks it's a good idea that you don't begin the recapitulation around the damaged site. I want you to ask him that. And then one of his uh, team members said, well, Gary, we've got to be concerned that that it could dislodge the anchor. And I said, oh. I said, okay, well, you got him on the phone, uh, Commander. I want you to say to him, Doc, if I sneeze, will I dislodge your anchor? And then someone from the team yelled, well, no. I said, okay, I am never going to create tension even approaching that of a sneeze. Now, I got a call from that commander that Saturday. And he said, I want you to know I started doing uh, uh, muscle activation like you suggested. He was using our medical product, H-Wave, which is the medical version of the -the over-the-counter Mark Pro. And uh, um, he said, I started using it on Saturday. I said, Saturday? I said, well, he said today, and it was Saturday. And I said, what happened to Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? He said, well, I I said, no, I'm serious. Why'd you wait? 
He said, well, I just want you to know I started today. I'm like, okay. So you started today. I'm glad to hear that. How long did you go? He said, well, I went about 10 hours. I said, good. You're off to a good start. Unfortunately, you've now allowed the congestion to build to a very significant level, and it's going to be harder to get you down to a base. And my analogy for that is this, and this is what I say to the orthopedic surgeons all the time. If you knew it was going to snow 24 inches in the next 24 hours, if you knew that, one inch per hour, if every hour on the hour you would open your front door, with a good stiff broom, you could effortlessly keep that one inch of snow off your sidewalk. It would be easy. If, however, you wait till morning and open your door to 24 inches of angry snow, I assure you it will not be effortless and you will not clear it with a good stiff broom. Get the point. Why would you let the waste accumulate when you know it's going to happen? You know it's going to swell. You know it. So why aren't you moving along the lymphatic system the whole time? Why do you let the 24 inches of angry snow accumulate? So now he tells me that he's, he's using it. He's feeling better. Uh, I got a call back from him. We had a couple emails in between, but I got a call back from him around the 10-week or whatever that 12-week, whatever that follow-up visit is. And the doc told him, according to the commander, uh, wow, you're really, you're really healing quick. You're doing great. <laughs> I'm like, did you tell him what you were doing? <laughs> of why you're healing quick? I can show the two of you pictures uh, on my phone. I, I don't want to do it on air, but I'll show you, and you can assure your, your audience that this is true. I have a hand, uh, second ulnar collateral re- re- reconstruction of a Major League Baseball pitcher. His hand is grossly swollen, post-op. The trainer said to me, Gary, I did what you said and activated the muscles for about six and a half hours um, uh, post. Um, I'm, I, wait, I said that wrong. That's not correct. He said, I activated the muscles uh, in and around the damage site like you suggested. Here's post-op. Here's 72 hours. I have both pictures. I will show them to you guys when when we're off the air, and you can tell your audience and put out in emails, whatever you do. Yes, we saw them. It's true. Okay? Now, this is from the the, the head trainer of the team, the director of player health. There's no swelling at 72 hours. Gone. Everybody who knows the problem knows that's a a two-and-a-half to three-week problem. I had it gone. What happens is if you decongest the area, you don't have the downstream problem. So why does that matter? Well, we didn't have the subsequent disuse atrophy. We didn't have the subsequent faulty scarring from lack of motion. We didn't have those problems. And we didn't have the suffocating and killing of otherwise perfectly healthy cells because the congestion wasn't there. Again, it's not secondary cellular death. It's primary to the congestion and the disuse. So you go, oh, well, that's one case. Okay, I have hundreds of those examples. Uh, I have a paper called Procrastination, a Fundamental Flaw in Injury Management. My co-author is the editor-in-chief of the Physician Sports Medicine Journal. Now, if you think I'm a crazy person and, and I don't know what I'm talking about and I make stuff up, that's fine. Think whatever you want. He's a straight-line editor-in-chief of the Physician Sports Medicine Journal, a mainline orthopedic surgeon. He's, he's, not, he's, he's saying, look, here's what's true. Here's what I'm doing. The, uh, one other story that, that I really like, this is from, um, again, I'll tell you offline the person's name. I don't want to say his name over there. I don't think that's fair. But the head trainer for a, a team sent me an email. He said, Gary, here's what just happened. Athlete had a longitudinal quad tear. Longitudinal quad tear. Measured the blood in the quad with ultrasound activated the muscles in and around the damaged site for six and a half hours. That's where the six and a half hours came thing. I crossed my stories just then. 
for six and a half hours. Following day, measured the blood in the quad with ultrasound. His word, gone, period. Turned a four to six week injury into running in three days, playing in the world championships in 10. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, that doesn't sound possible. The trainer said the same thing to me. He said, Gary, I was shocked at how fast uh, your technology sped up recovery. And I said, it didn't. He said, no, Gary, it's, it's a four to six week problem. I, I'm positive how long it takes. It, I know what just happened. I said, no, no. That's what happens if you mismanage the patient. Now we know how long it's supposed to take. Three days running, 10 days playing in the world championships. Look at what happened. Everybody who's in the business, if you had a longitudinal quad tear, the blood in the quad, you know what it looks like the next day. It's worse than the first day. You know the third day is worse than the, than the second day. So you know what's happening. It's congesting, beginning congestion, getting more swelling, getting less movement with more pain. Now the swelling's down below the kneecap. Now the toes are starting to hurt. They're walking on crutches. They're sitting still. They're, they're, put, they're icing it. They're compressing it. They're making a mess of the whole situation. That's what happens when you mismanage it. That congestion will suffocate and kill otherwise perfectly healthy cells that were not involved in the initial trauma. That's going to happen. You're going to have faulty scarring from lack of movement. You're going to have disuse atrophy from the lack of activity. And you're going to have elevated myostatin levels, which will prevent the regeneration of the muscle tissue. So all the things that are going wrong that make it take four to six weeks aren't the result of the injury. The injury only took three days running in 10. It's your mismanagement to drug it out to four to six weeks. Now, I'm really sorry if that offended anybody, but I'm telling you right now, I don't make stuff up. I'm just stating facts to you. I'm a reporter. That's exactly what the trainer told me, and I've personally seen this literally hundreds of times. John? So let's go back to our friend Rick. Is there a place for rest or ice? in any other recovery process. That question is for me? Yes. Yes, sensible rest makes sense. But when, when I had one doctor say, say to me one time in a lecture I was giving, well, what do you mean by rest? I said, I'll tell you what, I happened to have the slide and I popped the slide up and said, it's from the dictionary, from Webster's Dictionary, here's the definition of rest. And the definition is you rest, you don't do anything. So, yes, you should sleep. Yes, you should, you should not stress the damaged site to the point where it becomes uncomfortable if it elevates your level of discomfort. However, sitting still doing nothing, that's resting. That's wrong. Don't do that. Don't do that. Find a way to activate the muscles in and around the damaged site so you can move the waste through that passive lymphatic system and begin the recapitalizing of the tissue around the damaged site. So, no... Like, if I, if I got hurt, I'd be using our clinical product, uh, H-Wave, or I've, I've had a surgery. I'd have it on basically nonstop post-trauma. For example, I broke my collarbone, a, a clean mid-shaft fracture a few years ago. All documented. It's in my book, by the way. The doctor's name who treated me is in the book, and, and the x-rays are available for anybody who wants to see it. I had a clean mid-shaft fracture, and uh, I began activating the muscles in and around the damaged site within an hour of the fracture. And how do I know it was fractured? Well, because I heard it break and I saw it physically with, I felt it with my hand out of place. When I started running again, I had tripped running and, uh, and fell to the sidewalk and broke it. 
And by the way, if you never did that, it's really hard to get off the ground when you have a cop, cop, broken collarbone. It's like, okay, I can't go this way. I can't go that way. But I got up and uh, I realized I was in trouble. And a woman had saw me fall and she came running over. And she said, I called an ambulance. I said, don't call an ambulance. Just stop. I'm, I'm going back to my hotel. I'll be fine. She said, no, no. I said, listen, I'm going back. She said, well, I'm not letting you go yourself. I'm going with you. I said, fine. You can run with me if you want, but that's my hotel over there. I was in the Baltimore Harbor, and I could see the Marriott, and I knew where I was going. So I started the run. I was still about a mile and a half out, and about 10 steps into the run, I felt it snap and go back into place, and I kind of like, ah. And the woman said, what's wrong? I said, it went back into place. And she said, how do you know? Because I felt it snap back into place. It's way better now than it was a minute ago, so I know it's back into place. So when I got back to the hotel, uh, if this were a long version story, I would tell you how complicated it was to get out of my sweatshirt that was an over-the-head sweatshirt. That is a trip because I was, got stuck halfway out, and I couldn't decide whether I should go down to the concierge and have them get me out with a pair of scissors or whether I should rip it over my head and just hope for the best. I ripped it over my head and hoped for the best, by the way. <laughs> um, but I immediately began activating the muscles in and around the damaged site. My, I was in uh, boss. I was in uh, the Baltimore Harbor, and my doc was in Philly, so I made an appointment to see him the next day on Monday. I did it on Sunday morning. And when I got to him, uh, he said, so what's up? I said, I broke my collarbone. He said, well, how do you know? I said, well, I felt it snap. I looked. I felt it. I saw it. I felt it go back into place. He said, let's get a picture. So when he got the picture, he came back. He said, you know, uh, see that white line there? That doesn't belong there. And uh, I said, yeah. He said, well, that's, that's a fracture. It's broken right in half. And I said, okay, so what do you think? He said, well, I, I'm a little surprised because you don't have any swelling and you have almost no pain. I'm really surprised that, it, that it's broken. And I said, Doc, I've been, I've been uh, activating the muscles in and around the damaged site for 16 and a half of the last 24 hours. Why would there be congestion? I never allowed that 24 inches of angry snow to accumulate. He then looked at me and said, Gary, you know, at our age, we're both in, the, in our 60s at the time. He said, you got to be careful that you don't get a frozen shoulder. I said, Doc, I won't get a frozen shoulder. He said, I'm just telling you, it's, it's a common problem with people our age when this happens. I said, don't worry, I won't get one. Uh, I, I didn't tell him at the time, but I had actually started walking my finger up the wall that morning in the shower. So I was already walking my fingers up the wall. And at six days post-break, the following Saturday, I had my arm fully extended above my head with only a slight catch about three quarters of the way up that I had to kind of wiggle to the one side and then get it up. My arm was fully extended above my head six days post-break. And everyone that I talked to were like, wow, that's amazing. I said, no, it's not. If you don't allow the accumulation of waste in and around the damaged site, if you don't allow the faulty scarring, if you prevent the disuse atrophy, you don't have the problems that follow all of that situation. And again, if you read my article, uh, Secondary Cellular Death is Actually Negligent Homicide, it's free on my website. Download it, hand it out, you need no rights. Just take it and use it. I have all of the proof and all of the evidence, not from my personal experience, but from the medical literature. And your other question was ice. I'm sorry, that was such, the ice one's a lot shorter. I do give an example of when you should use ice. I give two examples in my book of when you should, when you should use ice. One is uh, a guy by the name of uh, J.C. Santana, who trains a lot of boxers down in Florida, said to me, what if a guy gets popped above the eye in the first round and it's starting to swell? I said, put ice on it. It'll stop the swelling. It doesn't prevent swelling, by the way. It stops it while it's cold. 
When the tissue rewarms, the inflammatory response resumes and the fluid will come. By the way, fortunately, because the fluid's bringing, mobilizing the repair and cleanup crew and preparing the waste for evacuation. So it's a good thing it comes. But if you, if you do that in a fight, it'll help keep the swelling down while you're fighting. And then another time would be, say you were um, uh, at a, an event and a 12-year-old making up the age, but a 12-year-old dislocates their ankle, and no one there knows how to solve the problem, and the hospital's 45 minutes away. So no one there knows how to relocate it, and you've got to go to the hospital. Well, if you're going to ride in a car for 45 minutes and you've got a bag of ice, put it on. That'll limit the swelling. Maybe you can stop the swelling because the cold, if you get it cold enough. And then when you try to relocate, it's a lot easier to relocate it if it isn't swollen. It's just simpler. It's just less painful. It's easier to do. And then on top of that, you'll give the child pain relief while they're on the way to the hospital because it does desensitize the area. So it does lessen your sensation of pain. And then beyond that, uh, when you get to the hospital and they're trying to work on them, the, the level of uh, fear and anxiety is likely going to be less than if you're riding in the car and the kid was screaming in pain and their ankle swollen for 45 minutes. So, yeah, there's a great reason to use it. But that's the only two I can think of. If there's another reason, I'd be happy to add it to my list. Uh, but as a general rule, Trapping the waste in and around the damaged site and preventing the natural flow of oxygen supplies is not a good plan. All right, so <clears throat> Bryce Winter on Twitter had mentioned that, with the exception of a couple athletes who insisted on having ice, they got away from using ice at their junior college. Um, and that's one of the other questions is sometimes we use it for that emotional support, like an athlete won't calm down, right? So so you got this athlete that's just freaking out, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm gonna die. So, hey, well, well, let's put some ice on it and then um, – I'll check you out in 10 minutes, that kind of thing. And so we put the ice on it because that's the only thing that's going to help them calm down so that we can evaluate them and move forward. Uh, is that any different? Is that doing damage by by putting that ice on there for a short amount of time, that one time to do the evaluation? Probably not an issue that matters. Um, just realize that when you do it, you're delaying the healing process because you're slowing everything down you're likely increasing swelling because when the tissue becomes cold, it causes a backflow from lymphatic vessels into interstitial space, so it actually increases swelling. Um, however, as you're describing it, if, if that were my option and the person calmed down when I gave him the ice, I'd give him the ice and calm him down. Uh, however, on the backside of that, I didn't use ice when I fractured my collarbone, and all I did was got, found the neutral position, and that calmed me down. Once I found a neutral position, there wasn't that much pain. And once I decongested the area, it was all solved. So could I have used ice to calm down? Um, sure, it would work. It, I mean, it does work. Uh, I wouldn't use it more than the one time. And I certainly would have the towels on to prevent any kind of skin or nerve damage as a result of the ice, which is kind of interesting to think about that because everybody is aware of the fact you don't put the ice on top of the skin because it'll kill the skin. Uh, nearly everybody is aware that if you put it on top of a superficial nerve, it'll kill the nerve cells. Uh, nearly everybody is aware of the fact that if you put it on a muscle, it'll destroy the muscle cells. So it's like, okay, you know all these problems exist, yet you still want to do it because you want to calm the person down. I'd rather talk them through it and find a neutral position and begin to decongest the area. But I get the way you described it. And yes, I would do the same thing that you're suggesting under those conditions. However, if I had a choice, which if you don't have tools to do it and you don't have a way to 
uh, find a neutral position, to get them in a neutral position, or for that matter, an air cast, um, you got to do what you have to do to, to calm the person down because that stress, they're liable to flip their arm or twist or, or jump or it, they're liable to hurt themselves more because they're so upset. So yeah, I, I can go with that. It, it, again, I'm a reporter. I'm just telling you the clinical consequences of using ice or, or worse, using the RICE or the RIC protocol, the rest, ice, and compression. I don't think elevation makes a difference one way or the other. Um, I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's just there. Um, but the, the RIC part, the rest, ice, and compression, just understand the consequence of doing it. Did it calm things down and help you evaluate and make your, your, your long-term clinical decisions? In other words, we need to go to the hospital right now. Hey, if that solved that problem, of course, use ice. All right. Um, a couple years back, I listened to Dr. Mark Merrick, and he he said that ice is is beneficial in the first six to twelve hours only, but after that, it does delay healing. And so that's actually kind of where I began the journey of not using ice. And so it's, it's again along the same line: is there may be possibly a use for it once to help calm the athlete to prepare him to move to move, or you know, or like you said, if there's a, a fracture where they're unable to reset that type thing that situation but but for the most part we don't use ice or um kind of like bryce was saying if a player is insistent i really want some ice I really want some ice then what i always do is i say okay well we're going to do these exercises first and if you finish these exercises then i can give you some ice and then that way if they don't finish them then they don't get it and i've kind of accomplished what i wanted to in kind of like a, a, a compromise situation. Um, so do you feel like in that situation that I am harming them by giving them that ice? Because we've we've done the movement, we've done the accomplishment, and so now it's more of a mental thing. I don't like the word harming them um, just because I, I, I don't want to... Slowing recovery. I don't want... You're, you're doing a couple things. You're delaying healing. You're increasing swelling and you're causing additional damage. So is the damage great? Couple minutes, towel between the pad, a towel between the, the, the ice and the player, get enough towels between them, very little harm, very little increased swelling if you have also kept the ice away from them. And the delay in the healing, you do it one time, how big's the delay? It's, it's the chronic ice use that becomes the, the, the real issue. Uh, here's what the most ridiculous thing I ever saw. I saw an ice bag on a player in the training room on top of a cast. And when I saw it, I thought it was a joke. I thought they were, like, messing with me. And I said, what's with that? And they said, oh, the doc wants some ice after, after his therapy. And I went, He's in a cast. And they said, yeah, but, you know, Doc said he wants some iced. <sighs> okay. W w how do I respond? Did that hurt anything? Of course not. And you put ice on someone and you put a towel between them and the ice, and it's on for eight minutes. What was your depth of penetration? Very slight. Very slight. Did you cause any skin damage? Probably not. If you didn't cause skin damage, it is improbable that you caused deep, serious damage. So a little bit of ice, 
and you're using it the way you're using it to calm the person down, and you've got enough filters between the ice and the person that it's not really going to impact, who cares? But it didn't work anyway. But by the way, that makes me go back to my, my big argument against the people who say, oh, I need the ice. Okay, uh, read my article, the, the, the Cold Hard Facts Weighing the Evidence, and you'll see I gave a list of 15 or so questions. One would be, let's just say it's a deep bone bruise. How cold do you make it? Like, how cold do you have to make it down by the deep bone? How cold? And how do you get it cold down there without destroying the superficial tissue? The answer is, you can't. And the fact is, it doesn't work. Because you could never get it cold enough to affect the deep bone bruise without destroying the superficial tissue. So it, it couldn't work. But let's just say that, that you could do this. You, somehow you figured out how you could do it. Okay, how cold, what temperature are you trying to get that deep bone bruise to? And is a ligament different than a deep bone bruise? And is a tendon different? And is a superficial muscle, say one of your superficial muscles in your, in your quad area, compared to a deep muscle? So how would you get a deeper quad muscle, say your adductor magnus, whatever, pick your, your psoas, whatever, one of the deeper ones? How would you get to that without destroying the superficial muscles? Well, the fact is, you can't. So even if we agreed that icing was good, it's not. But let's just say we agreed it was good. What's your protocol? What tools are you using to measure? How often do you make it that cold? How do you get it to that temperature without destroying the other tissue in the area? How often do you do it? Now, these are really reasonable questions if we're talking about evidence-based medicine, don't you think? That you should know how cold to make it, how often to make it cold, how you'd know when you got it to the temperature you're trying to get it to. You do none of these things. Over 40 years of widespread use, and you can't answer any of the most fundamental questions. The fact is, you can't do it. So even if it were a good idea, we have no measurement system whatsoever to determine what temperature you should get the tissue to. By the way, you guys both athletic trainers? Yes, sir. Okay. Have you ever measured the temperature in a deep muscle bruise? No. Okay. Well, then how in the world do you know if you got to the right temperature? And why do you put towels between the skin and the ice bag? Why do you do that? Why do you do it? Why do you put, why do you put a towel between the skin and the ice? Uh, so you're not damaging the skin. But doesn't that affect the temperature of the ice coming through the bag? Okay, so how much did you affect it? Uh, and how cold did you get the tissue? Exactly. And is a bone bruise different than a superficial muscle bruise? Very much so. And so how do you know which temperature to make the other? And how would you get the deeper cold without destroying the superficial? See, you can't even answer the fundamental basic questions, nor is there a protocol in all of the literature. I've pulled everything. There is no protocol to tell you how to do what I just described. And there never will be, by the way, because you can't do it. There is no way to measure and get it to the temperature. And by the way, there isn't even a written down temperature. You can't even say, oh, well, Dr. Smith says that you should get it to uh, 79 degrees. No, there's nothing. There is nothing. 40 years of widespread use and you guys don't even have a protocol. I don't mean you guys. I'm saying the, the profession who follows the Rice Protocol. Put ice on it. Oh, okay, great. Now, right, real, now what? 
Real quick, John John has one more question, and then he's going to have to jump. So, John? Yeah, you know, I was looking at the article, um, the, the Press Nation article. Um, there's the phrase, preserve tissue today rather than regenerate tomorrow. We talked about mismanagement of these injuries. How do we promote that clearly with our athletes? You're talking about my article, Procrastination? Yes. Well, the, the easiest way that I, the way that I explain it to athletes is if you mismanage the situation, you will suffocate and kill otherwise perfectly healthy cells that were not involved in the initial trauma. That congestion will lead to faulty scarring and lack of motion, which will lead to disuse atrophy. That will prolong your recovery process. It is easier to preserve than it is to regenerate. So rather than, like I told you the story with the, uh, with the athlete with the longitudinal quad tear, which they ran in three days, played in the World Championship in 10 instead of taking four to six weeks, I just explained it to them. In fact, I use that story very often when I'm talking to athletes. I say, look, here's the reality. If you do what people do traditionally, and I'm saying people who are following the RICE protocol, it's going to take us weeks to get not only regenerating which was damaged from the trauma, but what we're going to lose over time because we're mismanaging it. And I hardly ever have an athlete say, well, I want to make it take longer. That just doesn't happen. So I just explained it to them. All right. So we, uh, we've been talking about mismanagement or speed and recovery. Or, you, know, you said they've been hooking up to the Mark Pro for six or ten hours. So practically in the athletic training room, you know, we talked about ankle pumps, doing healing. So what about other tools that we already have? Um, you know, kind of before we were talking about manual therapy and how, how manual therapy is fantastic when there's one athlete per one athletic trainer in the athletic training room or, you know, that kind of thing. But when they go home or when you're on an airplane or something like that, then it doesn't work. So what are some of the other practical things that we can do inside the athletic training room to help properly manage an injury without using ice? Start off, use your brain, never cause pain. First rule, I always follow that. Use your brain, never cause pain. And then what you want to do is say, if you're thinking it through and you haven't thought it before, just think it through and say, what's my goal? Your goal is to preserve and regenerate. So you want to preserve tissue. You don't want any more lost as a result of that was lost following the trauma. So you don't want to lose any more. And you want to regenerate that which has been lost. So how's that work? Well, by loading the tissue. You load the tissue. You increase circulation in. You increase circulation out by the lymphatic system, and you uh, cause uh, enough stress. You have to have enough activity that you'll cause the sprouting angiogenesis, and you'll get the increased capillarity to the area. And then because of the movement, because of the activation, you'll prevent the disuse atrophy. So it all becomes very simple, and anything works. I know it sounds like so old-fashioned, but when coaches told my generation to walk it off, to keep moving, don't sit still, it'll tighten up. They were actually right. Now, unfortunately, they probably had more than one of us walk on a broken ankle. Uh, but, but in general, their idea was right. So uh, when I hurt my, when I broke my collarbone, I knew that it would swell if I didn't decongest the area. I knew that that would happen. 
So I immediately began activating the muscles in and around the damaged site. If I didn't have my, my prescription product with me at the time, um, my H-Wave, then I would have had to just move my shoulder and flex the muscles in and around the area. It wouldn't have been nearly as good because I would get bored and tired and I couldn't have done it while I fell asleep. So having a tool that does it electronically really just solves the biggest problem of all and that's that you won't keep doing it like asking the two of you have you ever done ankle pumps for more than two hours no. <laughs> okay does do ankle pumps work yes yes did 15 minutes or 10 minutes or seven minutes did that solve the problem no <laughs> so then why didn't you go for two hours because you get bored okay well there goes the problem my machine doesn't get bored <laughs> Okay, it doesn't get bored. It activates the muscles in and around the damage site without making you tired. So, and you don't get bored. So here's the thing. I don't make it bigger, stronger, or prettier. I don't do that. But I'll activate the muscle in and around the damage site and we'll decongest it and begin that recapitulation of the tissue around the damage site. Which, by the way, you could do it on a power plate. You know, the thing you stand on shakes you. Power plate works. Uh, um, uh, ankle pumps work. Squeezing a ball works. Anything that, that loads the tissue, there's a great article, it's referenced in all of my articles and in my book, called Loading by Buckwalter, 1999. And Buckwalter says something along this line. This isn't an exact quote, but something along the line. One of the most important discoveries of the century, this is written in 1999, of the century was the understanding that loading tissue facilitates the healing of muscle, bone, and ligament. It's like, wow, that was a, that was a, a, a statement of, of, of discovery in 1999. My coaches knew it back in 59. And I suspect that my great, 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 great grandfather knew it when he rolled his ankle pulling down trees and stuff. Of course you have to activate the muscles in and around the damaged site. It's just today we have an electronic way of doing it where I can do be point specific. So you tell me it's your, it's your, it's your pitcher's shoulder uh, but it's, it's their supraspinatus or whatever. It's their deltoid. It's their trap. I can do just that so that I don't cause any stress or trauma or issue to the surrounding tissue. That's a wonderful invention to have an electronic muscle activation device that is point specific. You tell me it's just my left lateral or just my left lateral quad. Okay. I could do just your left lateral quad. Or here's a really hard one with my NHL. I have over two-thirds of all the teams in the NHL use my product. One of their big problems is their psoas, their hip flexor. How are you going to do the psoas and the iliacus? How are you going to facilitate recovery of that muscle? I understand ankle pumps, and I understand squeezing a ball. How are you going to do that? I can do it effortlessly. Effortlessly. And I can do it in set up in less than a minute. That's what matters is that the invention allows us to do electronically what is very difficult in some cases to do by loading the tissue manually. You could do a hip flexor, by the way, on a bike with a toe clip and pull against it, and that would work. It's just, you know, you got a, you got a bike, yeah. you got a toe clip, <laughs> you have time. Uh, I can do it in, on the bus flying or on the plane flying back in the hotel room that night uh, you can put the pads on and then they go back to the room and they do it themselves while they fall asleep this is a wonderful thing to have so having an electronic 
muscle stimulation, either with Mark Pro for non-clinical issues. So basically the rule was this. Mark Pro is an over-the-counter product. So if you're tired and sore, it's the right answer. If you're injured, well, then you have to go to a prescription product. Same technology, just that you could go to a prescription product then because uh, companies like ours uh, are regulated by the FDA, and we should be, by the way. I'm not anti-FDA. We shouldn't be practicing medicine without a license. So if you're hurt, if they're injured, you should be on a prescription product. If you're tired and sore, over-the-counter works beautifully. And by the way, the vast majority of people are tired and sore. They're not hurt. I mean, when you go in the athletic world, everyone's not hurt. Most people are tired and sore. So we talked a lot about um, management of acute injuries. Um, where does Mark Pro serve a purpose in chronic injuries? Again, I got to be careful because you're you're pushing the question into that injured category for an over-the-counter product. So let's just say muscle activation uh, or electronic muscle activation. Sure. Um, when you have a problem, it doesn't matter if it's acute or chronic. What you're trying to do is decongest the area and recapitalize the area around the damaged site. That's all this technology does. That's the purpose. And of course, prevent the disuse atrophy. Right. So that's our purpose. I don't make you bigger, stronger, or prettier. I don't increase your range of motion. I don't make you more functional. Mm -hmm. I decongest the area, recapitalize the tissue around the damaged site, and prevent disuse atrophy. That's what I do. Now, on the back of that, though, sometimes uh, you look at the problem and you say, well, if I were to do that, there wouldn't be many of the downstream problems like the suffocation and killing of otherwise perfectly healthy cells that were not involved in initial trauma, like the faulty scarring from the, from the lack of motion and the disuse atrophy from the lack of use. So you skip all the downstream problems by, by dealing with the issue up front. So we have a great purpose with electronic muscle stimulation. It's a wonderful product. But just remember, it's only part of the solution, and it's a very specific part. Decongest the area, increase capillarity, prevent or retard disuse atrophy. So Joe Scarcella online asked, what's the difference between the Mark Pro, the H-Wave, and other e-STEM devices? Well, the Mark Pro is an over-the-counter product. H-Wave is a prescription product. That's the difference. Uh, other products on the market, um, there's probably 100. So it's too vague of a question to answer. Uh, but our technology is patented. So the H-Wave and the Mark Pro is patented technology. And that technology, uh, we've protected vigorously. And um, other people don't do it the way that we do it. And they're unable to get the sustained muscle contraction without fatigue. And that's what we do. Now, other people, by the way, there are Eastons that can make it bigger, stronger, and prettier. And they do it. We don't. What we do is give a very significant contraction for a prolonged period of time without fatigue, but I don't make it bigger, stronger, or prettier. And that's the difference between us and the whole marketplace. In fact, my, my competitors will often say, well, they only do one thing. Okay. Okay, I'll take my one thing. I'm really, really good at it, and it's what matters most from my point of view. Decongesting the area, recapitalizing the tissue around the damaged site, and preventing disuse atrophy. I think that that's really important, and that's what we do. So that's our difference, our focus. Our clinical product, H-Wave, uh, of course, is used with 
very complicated uh, situations, back down to anything that's, you know, diabetic ulcers, for example. There are articles published in, uh, in peer-reviewed journals about H-Wave helping to close diabetic ulcers. Well, of course it closes a diabetic ulcer. It's just tissue damage. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter who you are or how it happened. All that matters is, are you activating the tissue in and around the damaged site? The muscles and the vessels stay in the same place. They don't move because, oh, it's a diabetic ulcer. Well, no, he burned himself on a muffler. Well, what's the difference? It's tissue damage. It makes no difference. Or you have a shin splint. It's same muscles and vessels. Things, the tissue damage, what's happened, how it happened, who it happened to, what is wrong, doesn't matter when you're talking about our technology. We're bringing nourishment, flushing out waste, recapitalizing it around the damaged site, and preventing a retarding disuse atrophy. That's what we do. It doesn't matter what's wrong or how it happened. I'll give you a, 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 my, my very favorite thing to say, actually, in this whole topic. I'll give you a question. If you want to guess, guess. If not, I'll just tell you the answer. Who do you think my most satisfied customer ever is? What do you think they did? What, what, what do you think they were physically doing, my most satisfied customer ever? My guess that military guy you said he tore his peck off. That's going to be my guess. I'm going to guess it's your wife. A concert flutist. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay? okay. <laughs> so the mom hears him give a lecture. And she walks up and she says afterwards, do you think this would help my daughter? You know, I'm thinking... Is she a CrossFitter? You know, what does your daughter do? And I said, so what's up? She said, well, it's her fingers and her forearms are constantly chronically cramping, and it's preventing her from practicing. And I said, what she do? She said, well, she's a concert flutist. And I went, yeah. Now, how did I know? Because I have motocross guys whose forearms, they get forearm pump and cramping. So if I can handle that, I know I can do a flutist. So the mom calls me back in about, Oh, what, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it was. And she's crying on the phone. She is cry she's sobbing on the phone. And I went, hi. She said it worked. <laughs> of course it worked. It's just congestion. And this, you can see, if you're on camera, you can see playing the flute, what that would do to you if you practiced all the time. By the way, full scholarship to a major university to play the to play the flute. So if you're out there and you're thinking, what? No. It can happen. <laughs> Full scholarship to play the flute in the university's orchestra. Uh, I guess it's the orchestra. I think that's what they call it. I'm not quite sure if that's what it's called. But yeah, my most satisfied customer ever is a concert flutist. It's like, really? Same problem. It doesn't matter what made you tired and sore. It doesn't matter where it is. It's your foot, your fingers. I don't care. It makes no difference to me where it is or what happened. Or who you are, or what sport you play, I don't care. When you have damaged tissue, if you want to preserve, prevent any further loss, and you want to regenerate it, which is damaged, you've got to get the good stuff in, the bad stuff out, and you've got to prevent a retard to disuse actually and the formation of faulty scarring or what people call adhesions. Anything else? All right, so you can check out Gary's book on Amazon. I'll have a link to that in the, the show notes. Uh, Ice, the illusionary treatment is that right or is it illusionary treatment option illusionary treatment option there you go see i, I knew it 
listen, if you, if you type in the illusionary treatment, you'll get to it, right? So again, I'll have a link to it there on sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash stop using ice. So in this episode, I feel like we've covered, if you're going to use ice, then it has to be like a very minimum one-time use to help calm down uh, the athlete to, to do that thing. And really there's no evidence supporting using ice or it being beneficial uh, but there is plenty of evidence supporting the fact that it is not beneficial, that it creates congestion, uh, delays the healing. Um, and so there's, there's I don't know what you call it, there's evidence where there's practical so that you, that you can hear the stories. And then there's evidence, like scientific evidence of where what it does when you're using ice. So as athletic trainers, if our goal is to promote healing, to improve the patient outcomes, then we really need to take a look at the clinical aspect of why are we using ice? Is it just because they want it because the coach coach said, well, we've always done it this way. We've always iced after we pitched and after we threw a bullpen. Well, let's figure out why are we icing, you know, as we've talked before with functional movement things, you know, do some manual therapy to loosen up the soft tissue, do the Mark Pro to, or some similar type thing to create the muscle activation to flush out the, the system. Um, and, in general, as an athletic trainer, what are we doing to to the best of our ability using evidence? So I feel like that kind of sums it up. You got anything? Yeah, I mean, I think what it boils down to, and we talked about this uh, off air, is just uh, education. Um, just educating uh, our student athletes, our coaches, our administrators, uh, specifically in the secondary school setting like Jeremy and, I, Jeremy and myself are in. Um, and just letting them know, like, hey, there, there are different routes to getting better. Because, I mean, athletics is a performance-based industry if you will, um, even at the high school level. So, um, I, again, I just think it kind of boils down to uh, education. I think, you know, Gary, you really uh, hit the nail on the head and just, uh, you know, just starting the conversation of, you know, why we should get into active recovery and uh, why we should we, why we should be moving instead of, you know, being sedentary and just sitting around with uh, an ace wrap or an ice bag over our injured X, Y, Z, whatever. Um, so, yeah. Well, can I, can I tell you, just a, a two, few weeks ago at the NATA meeting in Las Vegas, I was invited to a lecture, and I got to the lecture, and the uh, professor's name is Dr. Tom Kamensky. He's a director of athletic training education at the University of Delaware. Okay? During the lecture, he put up a book. He put up Dr. Gabe Merkin's book, the sports medicine book. He, and I'm going to paraphrase now because there's too many words for me to get it exactly right, but I'll get close. And I'm, I suspect it's available because there's a lecture at the meeting, so it's probably something you could buy. Or maybe they give it to you, people who attend it. I don't, I'm not quite sure how they hand that stuff out, but <laughs> Dr. Kaminsky is giving the talk. He puts up Dr. Merkin's book, picture of it, and he said, this guy made up the Rice Protocol. He's admitted he was wrong. Stop doing it. Putting ice on damaged tissue is foolish. Stop doing it. Then he superimposed my book on top of Dr. Merkin's book. This is the NATA meeting, okay? This is, this is right, in your, right in your warehouse here. Put up my book and said, this guy wrote the book that took down the Rice Protocol, and Dr. Merkin wrote the forward to it. Okay. Um, at least give me a chance to explain this to you. And I appreciate you giving me the chance today. And anybody who wants to go to my website, GaryRinal.com, just go there. You can print 
any of my articles for free, hand them out as desired. There's no cost obligation. I don't do anything like that. They're free. If you buy my book, it's like 15 bucks. But you don't have to buy my book. You just heard me explain everything. You can buy my book if you want to. I say the book helps you uh, lead others out of the Ice Age. So if you are interested in leading others out of the Ice Age, I have a chapter in my book called The University of You where I teach you the most common questions others are going to ask. I give you my answers and the references to why I have those answers, and which is why now over a million people have heard my message, and I very rarely get pushback. So with that, I'll tell you thank you very much for having me, and the meltdown continues. The meltdown continues. All right, so one of the things Gary mentioned to me before we started that is that Mark Pro just started a loaner program. So if you want to test out everything we've been talking about here, uh, then you can go to where, – where are they going to go to get to the – is that markpro.com or send an email to gary at markpro.com and then I'll take care of it personally. So anybody in this audience, I'll personally take care of. All right. So if you want to get a loaner of the Mark Pro to test it out, to try it for, I think he said a 30 or 60 days, something like that, uh, he'll send you the details. Uh, then you can test it out. And if you want to keep it, if you can see the validity and using it and, and it works in your setting and inside of your budget, then you just pay for it. If not, then you send it back and say, Hey, thanks. You know, we're going to have to save up or however you decide to deal with that. Uh, so email Gary at Mark pro, which is M A R K P R O.com. M A R C M A. Oh yeah. I have it written here. M A R C. I said K. <laughs> I have no idea why. So, so you can email Gary at M A R C P R O.com and he'll, uh, get you that loaner out so you can so you can test it out so i am jeremy jackson host of the sports medicine broadcast if you go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com you can find any of my contact information but twitter is a really good way so on twitter i am mr jeremy jackson uh gary one of the best ways to get a hold of you is that email that you just said or uh, the, the mock pro email works or you can go to my website garyrandall.com and there's a drop there for me also all right so garyrandall.com or the mark pro email we just mentioned for the loaner ray yeah, uh, you can reach me on Twitter. Uh, it's probably the best uh, platform for some, some sports medicine content. Uh, it's Ray Olivo, R-A-Y-O-L-I-V-O 20. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll be tweeting about this uh, conversation a little bit later today. Uh, please uh, tag me um, at the Andy Iceman. You got it, Gary. So then, and now <laughs> forward to, to, my, to my network. Hey, and then John Seco, who joined us via phone call, is John, J-O-H-N. Seiko, C-I-E-C-K-O. But if you're a regular sports medicine broadcast listener, you probably have heard from John Plenty. Again, I'll have the resources that Gary sent me, which are, which are articles, which are, you can probably find the same ones at GaryRinal.com. So um, uh, partners with the Sports Medicine Broadcast for your hydration is a platinum sponsor there, a huge, huge supporter of the Sports Medicine Broadcast, physicaltherapy.com, myotech, uh, hoist hydration, and also MedBridge using the code DSMB gets you a discount and helps me out as well. So this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash stop using ice featuring Gary Reinel, Ray Olivo, John Seco, and Jeremy Jackson, Jeremy, Jeremy Jackson for the Sports Medicine Broadcast. And that is a wrap.